Thank you for um, joining us today. I, I have the pleasure and honor of talking with Arlene Dickinson. And I know that when the viewers finally see this, when it's up and posted, that they're really going to hopefully enjoy the discussion. Arlene, I've known for a number of years, is not only a TV personality, uh, an actor, actress, entrepreneur for sure, venture capitalist, and she turns out to be fantastic and great at all of these. So let's have just a little peek at Arlene the actress. Hi, it's Arlene Dickinson, and you won't believe this, but I'm playing Arlene Dickinson on the set of Murdoch Mysteries, set in 1899. Arlene's performance has been really good. Uh, you know, she's uh, obviously got a natural charisma. There's this adrenaline that happens when you're standing there waiting off set for them to say action. I'm ready to talk turkey, Miss Dickinson. Good. They're awesome to work with. They're really helpful. They've been telling me, you know, kind of giving me good advice and hints along the way. And it's really fun. I love this. to learn lines, which I'm going to tell you is like way hard, because on Dragon's End I get to say whatever I want, but here they're trying to tell me what to say, which as you can imagine is a bit of a challenge for the director. I'm sure wherever she goes she must be inundated with people saying, you know what, I have a good idea, and, and uh, it's funny, I said to my girlfriend last night, I was like, you know, I have an idea for a clip that goes on your toilet seat so you can lift the, the seat up now without getting your fingers in under the, you know, I never understood why one of those didn't exist. Anyway, maybe if... Uh, Maybe if we get stuck between shots, I'll, I'll put it through. I, I love it. I don't think I'm cut out for it as a career, but I love doing it. It was sense of fun. It really looked like you were having some fun. Did you have fun? Yeah, that was a good flashback, uh, Frank. I hadn't seen that, <laughs> seen that clip. I'm thinking to myself, where did they get that? Um, it was so much fun. Unexpectedly so. I, I have I came up with a whole new respect for all of the actors and actresses that are out there that uh, have to memorize lines because it's not easy. I, I, I couldn't remember a line because I know over the years when you have to go into a pitch and then you have your points uh, yeah. to memorize and whatever I would say would never be what I had supposed to memorize, you know, you'd end up having to ad lib it again. So uh, I really want to thank you again. I, I've been looking forward to this over the last uh, month or so because uh, of your background and having know, knowing you. And, and it's just important for these uh, folks that are going to be watching because it's an opportunity for industry professionals to share successes like yours or, or other people that we're going to be interviewing because 
it's a, you know, it's an industry that's changing and an industry that obviously needs some help in every area today because COVID's made uh, a lot of uh, difficulty for a lot of people. And of course, our industry has changed just overall. I mean, it's unbelievably of what we're living with and how we're operating today. So we're going to get some of your points on that. But your drive from almost poverty, when I saw that, because in doing these interviews, you have to do a fair amount of research to keep it interesting. And I, I know that uh, from where you came from, that you'll inspire others. So uh, hopefully, again, we'll raise some funds. So my notes here where you've been unemployed, uh, divorced uh, with no money, and somehow battled all of that to become a huge success. Your passion and drive has created one of the largest independent agencies in Canada, and there's very few of those left today, as you know. Uh, your offices are currently in Calgary and Toronto and Ottawa. And along with you being a star on Dragon's Den, uh, I'm, you left for a while and came back. Uh, she's written three books, co-hosted the CBC reality series, The Big Decision, appeared as a judge in the Food Network's Recipes to Riches. And among many other business ventures, you formed Arlene Dickinson Enterprises. See, I'm getting tired already. Has done various TED Talks. Also the national spokesperson for the Breakfast Clubs of Canada and served as a co-chair for Kids Help Home. And she sits on the advisory committee for Stafford Institute. And on honors and awards, you've had the Lifetime Achievement Award for Ed Rodeo in 2004, Canada's Most Powerful Women, Top 100 Hall of Fame in 07. Management Achievement Award by McGill University in 2008, Lifetime of Business Award, Women's International Film and Television Showcase, uh, Queen Elizabeth Diamonds Jubilee Medal. In addition to all these awards, uh, you have honor degrees from Mount uh, St. Vincent University and St. Mary's University and the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. So you talk about a uh, a resume, you, you've kind of covered just about everything off that I can actually think of. So I think it's uh, the interview could almost end right now with that. But <laughs> but I want to get into a little bit of background about you because it, I saw you were born in a city that or a town that I've never heard of before until I looked it up and it's called Germiston, South Africa, and you're the youngest of uh, three daughters. That's right. Um... Um, well, before we get too much into me, I just want to say something to everybody who's listening, because Frank, if somebody had said to me, you know, 30 years ago, when I was starting up my career in this business, over 35 years ago now, that one day I'd be being interviewed by you, I would have probably laughed and said, there's no way I would ever, Frank Palmer doesn't know who I am, let alone is going to do an interview of me. And I'm, um, it's an honor to talk to you. It always oh, has been it always has been an honor to talk to you, Frank. I've, I've respected and admired you for so many years. So thanks for taking any interest in me. No, I uh, have a lot of interest, actually. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess, you know, it's it's been a journey, I can tell you. You know, like it's been a really interesting experience. I, I also think 35 years ago, things were quite a bit different, as you said. It's, the industry's changed a lot. And it's been fun to be part of that whole kind of change it keeps me I think it keeps me young I'll I'm I'm getting older but I I love the business still so 
Well, you, it said here that you've immigrated to Canada, the family in 1950 with 50 bucks. So what was that like for you back then? 50 bucks, that's uh, <laughs> we. So my family came to Canada. So as you said, there's three, I have two sisters, older sisters. I'm the youngest of three. My dad was an electrical engineer in South Africa. We sold everything we had to come to Canada to immigrate to this country. Um, I think it was a choice between Australia and Canada. And my dad decided Canada, although he knew nothing about this country and landed literally with with uh, $50 for our name. And, and so I grew up in poverty. We had nothing. We rented homes when we were little. We, and not that that's a sign of poverty, but you know, we, home ownership was really right. out of our reach. And um, we, you know, I always say to people that you know, one of the reasons I'm so involved with food today is we, food was a very, was something that we didn't have easy access to. I mean, you just didn't go to the grocery store every time you were hungry. You went when you had the ability to go and the money to go. So, you know, I had an interesting relationship with, you know, what it means to not have enough food to eat, to um, always be wearing, you know, everything we had was from the Salvation Army or from, you know, um, secondhand and, and hand-me-downs. And, and then all that, I think, actually helped establish my character and made me really appreciate um, the effort of hard work, but also, you know, not to forget where we've come from. Yeah, so now you're in Calgary and uh, found your first job with a TV station in advertising sales. How, how was that job? Um, I got fired from it, I can tell you that. <laughs> it, was, um, it was, I was in, in co-op sales in television and it was, it, was, it was a great job. I mean, in that it taught me a lot. It was actually my first entry into, you know, really true marketing and, and advertising. And I, I loved the job because I started to, I was working with small business owners, trying to put co-op programs together. And I, that's where I found my passion for entrepreneurs and understanding kind of what it's like to build a business and treat their money like it's yours so that you can, you know, make sure you were doing good with it. And uh, television was so exciting to me. It was it was, uh, you know, like I used to drop in the radio stations and, you know, I even did some television commercials back then because they always needed people to stand in that didn't cost them anything. So I would do that. And I really love TV sales. It, uh, it was a great way to learn about media and about business. Well, having said that, I, I just came to my mind that my first job was with a TV station also. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, yeah, right out of art school, I got lucky and got a job with KBOS TV, which is a border station as a graphic artist, I was doing those signs that would be, we'll be right back after this intermission. That was my <laughs> role. So after leaving that job, you, it was apparently a former colleague of yours reached out and asked you to come to an opportunity to come to work for an advertising agency called Venture. Yeah, I mean, what, what I basically got was, uh, I got fired from the TV station. And, um, and then, and then, he knew I needed a job and he said, listen, we can't pay you anything, but you can come and work for us, with us for free. You know, we'll, we'll make you, they made me a partner, but basically what meant come and work for free. So that's when I discovered what sweat equity was. And I learned that you, you know, just went and put one foot in front of the other. And I, I just started to find this passion for marketing. I, I loved it so much. I loved everything about pop culture and growing businesses and, and, I, I was young. I mean, I, although I, at the time, I've got to say I was 31 at the time um, when this happened. So it was, it was, or I guess 30, it was, I was a little bit older to be starting a business and to discover kind of what I was good at, but I found I was effective as a marketer because I was an effective listener. 
And I had a lot of empathy for people's situations. And I think that's an underrated skill set that we don't talk enough about in our industry, which is be a good listener because you, you will start to understand what people are trying to very, achieve. Very, very good point. Most, uh, I find that there's not a lot of people that are good listeners. No. Yeah. And, and you said you were working for free, but you were also sort of living off credit cards. <laughs> I was, I was, I was. I was doing every, you know, on the TV show, we always say to people, don't borrow against your home. Don't use your credit cards. I did all of those things. I was so, I was like living like day to day. I was, my, my family didn't have money. I was, I was honestly, I was, it was a disaster, but you know, you do what you have to do and you yeah. just, you're building a business. But it turned out really well for you because in a, what was it within 10 years, you ended up uh, owning the company. Yeah, I ended up buying my partners out. I had two male partners that were older than me and uh, went to the bank because I wanted to, they, they were they were older, um, they didn't get along, wanted to retire, didn't want to take any risks and I wanted to build this business. And so I remember going to the bank to say, would you lend me money to buy them out? And they just looked at me and said, well, you alone or do you have some male partners that you're going to bring? And I'm going, no, I'm trying to buy my male partners out. So I ended up um, using working capital to pay them off and just honestly, almost putting the business out of business by draining all the cash to do that. Um, but I, it worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it worked. Uh, you know, I think you and I have known for each other for 25 or 30 years and we've crossed paths many times. In fact, we are actually talked about doing business together at one point in time. Uh, but back then, as you went to the bank and you said that, uh, is there any male partners and you were a woman and, and obviously at that time, there wasn't very many women that may have been successful or ran advertising agencies, let alone many advertising agencies. No. Right. That was, it, was it, was it tough? It was, I mean, I, I, I have to say that I never really thought about being a female in business. I was just a person in business and I was trying to build a business and, and I didn't really think about it until other people made it an issue. You know, it wasn't like it was something that I was focused on. And so for me, I, I was always kind of secondary. I was just trying to do good work and build a, a company. And so I was always surprised when it became an obstacle and it, it was always disappointing. But I think that's the difference between being an entrepreneur as a female and being um, in a corporation as a female leader, because nobody, the only thing that was stopping me really was ultimately myself. So I was able to find my way around it. But when you were in the advertising business and having worked there, Bob, it did, was it something that you kind of got used to and you really fell in love with? Or did you have a feeling that you wanted to be somewhat in advertising? Oh, no, I, 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 I loved the business. I loved everything about helping other people's businesses be successful. I loved that we could do things that would actually grow other people's businesses. So I found my passion was, and my whole why was about helping entrepreneurs and businesses scale and grow. And I, I love this. I love the space. I love the ideation. I, I was like, totally hook, line and sinker. It was in my blood. And as, and I think you've said this before, Frank, um, in some of your interviews that, 
you have to have this deep passion because this is a very difficult industry. It doesn't reward tenure. It doesn't like experience. It wants young, interesting ideas and innovation. And if you're not passionate about it, you can easily get old in it. In other words, you don't stay current. You don't stay, you know, you aren't looking for what's what's happening, what's new. And so I liked that it pushed me into trying to continue to improve myself and, and learn to understand what was going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, we, DDB, when I was there, we were one of the first uh, companies that uh, put a few bucks into this three uh, percent, and and most of it was all about women and obstacles and creative and and the difficulties that they have being accepted in the in the business, and and uh, I think probably for a woman that, that you've had to overcome more of that than I probably did. I mean. Uh, as a man, because uh, it was like Terry Mary Wells is maybe one of the first women in, that ever got accepted in the United States as running a major advertising agency. And, and today, my ex-boss was Wendy Clark, uh, who's gone on now to run Densu, and she's running a huge organization. So uh, it's just a very different industry today, and I'm glad it's moving in the right direction. Where do you think our industry is today and what shape it is in? I think we're at a I think we're at a a really fundamental shifting point in our industry. I think I think much is going on um, in the business world um, for this industry. You know, and, and you talk to people and people say, oh, we do things differently, you know, the in the the traditional model's broken, it has to be changed. But nobody's really kind of thinking about what it needs to change to. And this is a moment in time to do that with because of technology, because of remote working and what's happened uh, as a result of the pandemic, because of the fact that, um, you know, businesses are no longer but the commoditization of media and, you know, even some of the creative ideas and everything, everything kind of being brought down to a price point as opposed to the thinking and the strategy. I think we've had to reshape how we work with clients and how we how we partner with them, which is why I created Venture Park. The whole idea was that we needed to combine funding and capital, marketing and programming you know, um, media presence and, um, and and an ability to innovate all of these things together, create a partnership that actually is impenetrable. And, and to me, that's where the agency industry has to shift. It has to shift to becoming true business partners, not just uh, vendors or suppliers or people who partner on campaigns, but really people who partner in business. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I'm finding now that uh, having started all over again, believe it or not, at the ripe old age is that there's many different opportunities that are coming our way because of COVID that we've had to say, wow, this would never have happened. Right. You know, whether it's delivery systems or travel systems or any of that stuff. But at the same time, uh, Martin Sorrell's got to come up with a couple of articles in the last little wallet. Obviously, he's kind of anti what he built before and what he's building now. But I have to agree with some of the things that he's saying about our industry and where we're going and how flexible we have to be. So I'm finding now that in operating, we have to be fast, flexible, and not too costly, where a lot of the big holding companies are still not flexible, slow and costly. So it's a matter of now finding the right mix, right? Right, right. Yeah, so you, I always wondered um, how you got invited into the Dragon's Den. 
Uh, so I got a call one day, I was working away at my desk and I got a call from CBC and the funny line I always use is the, the, the fellow who called me, um, his name was Mike and Mike, he says, hi, my name is Mike. Um, I'm calling from CBC. And I said, oh, you must want my media team. He said, no, no, we want to talk to you. And he said, in fact, this call could change your life. And I thought, what? Like, <laughs> who are you? What are you calling me about? And then he asked me if I'd ever seen Dragon's Den. And I had in fact uh, watched the first season and I said, yeah. And he said, we'd like you to audition for the show. Your name's come up as, you know, they were looking for a female on the show and your name's come up. And I thought, ah, you know, I don't think so. I didn't want to do television. And, uh, but I got talked into it by my family. And so it was really just a call out of the blue. And they asked me to audition. How many years did you do before you left? I was on the show for, I think, uh, probably 10 seasons and then I left for two and then I've come back. So I've been on the show now for 13 seasons. What did you miss on the show? Did you miss Mr. Wonderful or did you miss Mr. Jim Trebling? I mean, what was it for that time that you missed and, and you came back? What was it? I missed the entrepreneurs. I truly missed like the, I, one of the things about Dragon's Den is it gives you a front row seat to what Canadians are working on and thinking about and the innovation. And, and, and I loved, I loved the passion and the drive. And I, I really missed that. I missed, I missed listening to them and hearing from what was going and hearing from what was going on and, and their hopes and their dreams and their ambitions, because I found it really connected me to what was happening in our country. And it is such a microcosm of, you know, every age and stage and position of person who has a dream uh, comes on that show. And I missed that. Did you learn um, something from the other dragons at the same time? Oh, every, every season I learned from the other dragons, you know, these are, this is a group of people who they're high performing each in their own right. They all have a point of view. They're not shy. They're not, um, they're unafraid to voice their views. Um, they always think we all think we each think we're right all the time. Um, when it comes to our opinion on the show, but it's, it's, it's actually been, uh, again, it's taught me a lot about the different types of people out there in business. It's taught me a lot about, you know, um, how to see de deals differently because everybody does listen to the deal flow differently. They do hear with a different voice. Yeah. I, I noticed that sometimes when I'm watching the show and how they move the camera around and, uh, uh, somebody will say something and then they get a close up on somebody else's eyes rolling, you know, going, uh, so you don't always necessarily agree with what the other dragons are saying at the time. No, and, and I love the part when you say, well, you go in with me or I won't go in with you. And it's, it's actually kind of a game in a way going on, you know, what's, who's going to take, what's going to take place. What's action is going to take place. Actually you don't know any of that in advance. No, we don't. I mean, one of the things that I think always surprises people is the only thing we know is the name of the person, their first name. So some they'll say, okay, Debbie's coming down the stairs and just so that we don't have to ask what their name is when they come down. But other than that, we know nothing. We don't know if they're going to show us a Christmas tree stand or the next best app. We have no idea. And so it's, it's so, so I don't know if it's uh, confidential or not, but do many of those deals actually get done? Is there a percentage wise or, you know, because yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you what the other dragons do. I, I, 
it's hard enough to keep track of my own stuff, uh, let alone what they're doing. So I don't know what on a percentage basis for the whole show, what it would be. I mean, for me, the way I tell people to think about it is we do the deal on the show and then we go into due diligence and diligence, um, just like in the real world, when you're investing, you're, you're verifying numbers, you're looking at cap tables and shareholders agreements and determining whether or not what they said on the show is actually, you know, once you dig under the covers, it's exactly the same. And sometimes the entrepreneur walks away from the deal. And sometimes I walk away from the deal because it's not what I thought it was going to be, or we're not going to, you know, I don't believe it's the same opportunity we were pitched or they walk away because they just came on the show for, um, they don't, they don't think they're going to get enough value or they believe that, you know, um, they just came on the show for their publicity. So to, it, it varies. Would be interesting but, for me um, at times because when some of the uh, uh, people get on the show, they and the question's been asked, and you say, "Well, how many dollars have you sold sold to date?" And they come up, "Well, we've been doing this for half a year, and we've sold twenty thousand dollars." And you go, "How did you get on the show?" Yeah, yeah. Well, we know, don't have any say in that. That's no, pretty- I know they <laughs> they are the ones. So you've done a number of deals. Have they been successful for you? I have done a lot of deals and I have had some really great successes. I mean, um, a, a lot of really good successes from the show. I've, I, I certainly have, you know, <clears throat> I've invested millions of dollars on that show and I've had um, great return as a result, you know, whether it's OMG candy or, or whether it's um, cook it, which is a meal kit delivery company or um, just, just a lot of really good deals. Yeah. I know that, uh, uh, not being on the show, but my partner and myself have done about 10 deals. And uh, uh, even after we put some money in them, not all of them turn out to be the best nope. deals in the well. And and my guess is in my percentage is that maybe 10% of the deals that I've done have actually turned out to be worthwhile than the other 90. Fortunately, the 10% have made up for the 90% that hasn't done well, but uh, it's always a bit of a gamble when you're doing these things. And it's, for me, I guess it's uh and probably for, for you too, which I'm interested in, is probably your experience not only working for the television station, but having been in your own business now for probably 25 or 30 years, you've, you've learned all of that. Yeah, I mean, you start to develop. I think the, the benefit of being in marketing is you do start to develop a good instinct on people. Um, you start to understand um, more, I think, about kind of what what is driving individuals to do what they do. And, and I mean, that's part of our business is to understand human behavior. And so I think that has helped me a lot. And then also having seen thousands and deals, literally thousands of deals yeah. now, um, you start to narrow it very quickly as to whether or not A, it's an individual you can trust, B, whether it's somebody you can work with, C, whether the idea is actually innovative and going to be uh, do well in the market. So there's lots of there's lots of factors that come into play. But I do think I've got a good instinct and I, I've rarely been wrong on somebody that is actually um, not uh, the right person to invest in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find that very interesting. I, I guess probably through all of this, you've probably learned that uh, what your strengths are and what basically are your weaknesses i don't know if you want to talk about that but definitely i guess probably um, well i mean i think it must help also when you get a new client opportunity whether you really want to pitch that client or not you know and maybe that's experience that you have on the show is almost working for your benefit when you start working looking at a client yeah i uh you know from a strengths and weaknesses perspective, I think one of the things that I've had to do, because I, I'm a, 
it's it's very easy. And Frank, maybe you would would this would resonate with you. It's very easy to become a little bit of a jaded cynic in our industry. And and so I think one of my strengths is being able to still stay empathetic and and um, still you know care about what's happening and still believe in, in people. Um, one of my weaknesses is probably that I can uh, trust too quickly and sometimes I can get burned as a result of that. Um, but I don't do much, I don't do a lot of pitching a business anymore. You know, my, I've got a fantastic team of people. I, uh, I don't pitch as much business. I, I rarely am involved in that. It's, it's uh, my team that's doing it. Yeah. I, they, they, they kind of, uh, I think probably at times because I've been in the business so long myself, they want to lead dad out of the room and make them proud by making the business on their own. Right. But there's, there's that. Maybe we're not going to be as sharp as. He well, that's probably true. Maybe I'll say something that I shouldn't say, which I've been sort of done over the years where I've oh, did Frank actually say that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I remember pitching a piece of business with you, Frank, where we were going to work with you um, on a piece of business and you came in and you had a, a set of false teeth uh, that were, that was just, it was super funny. You were just, you came in with a set of false teeth and you were pitching in the room. And I thought that takes courage. Like you had this kind of jokey teeth thing and you were well, I, talking I can, like nobody should notice. And then you laughed and took them out. Well, no, I, I can remember one time that when we were pitching the Winters account, I uh, got up on the boardroom table, which was theirs and said, I laid on it and said, I'm not going out of the room until you hire me. That would be you, Frank. That would be yeah, you. Yeah, well, I don't know. I've been able to get away with it because if there was three things I wanted to be in my life where people laugh at me, they say, what did you want to be? I said, well, I want to be a stand-up comedian. I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And and I don't can, now I can't remember what the third one was, but the fact of the matter was I ended up being all three because I think you have to be a comedian and a stand-up comedian or you know, a wrestler a police officer was it the yeah, last one and i think you have to be all three of them because this business <laughs> is tough and and Hard if you can't have a, a laugh at it uh, i mean you'll laugh at the, what happens i mean I, every day i mean i i own the, the domain called fun shui and uh i believe that if i can't have fun at the office i mean my dad used to hate going to work and i love going to work i couldn't figure out why uh, he hated work, but I didn't really fully understand. It was the only job he could get to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate as, as you have. Well, you were named in the top 100 most powerful women in Canada Hall of Fame. Was that a proud moment for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always, every time I've, I've been fortunate enough to have any recognition, it's always been, I'd say two things to, again, to the people listening. I mean, I think when you have these moments and everybody's going to have a moment in time, you know, whether they get recognized with an award like that or whether they get thanked because they've done something or they, or they win a piece of business. And we, we tend to, as entrepreneurs, not take the moment to really appreciate what's happening because A, we're maybe a little embarrassed by it or B, we're so busy going on to the next thing that we don't really appreciate what's happened to us. And so when I've had this recognition, I've always been a little bit, embarrassed by it a little bit wondering you know why I could have should I've done more I, I'm, I'm very be hard on myself so I'm really appreciative now as I look back in hindsight on my career um, uh, for any recognition because it's helped my career and so yeah that was that was the moment where I I, I felt um, really blessed yeah I, I I find it sometimes difficult to accept uh, mm -hmm. an honor for something because I know I didn't get here by myself. Exactly. 
And, and if I didn't have great people behind me pushing and me challenging, I would probably uh, uh, still be working in the bakery business uh, alongside my dad. Yeah. Um, you now said that you have a great team. And I know we had a conversation on the phone about that about a month ago. There is, does your team or did you give them the, the kind of uh, uh, tales about what kind of clients you want to work with and the ones that fit and don't? I mean, I know that we have that kind of a, eh, I don't know if I want to work with them because you work with the Toyota dealers for a long time, right? They must have been a fantastic client for you at that time. Yeah, we worked with them for 25 years. They were, they were again, I, I learned so much from that brand. Uh, the, the whole notion of Kaizen, the whole notion of partnership and letting people fail and learn together. They were really a fabulous client. Um, you know, I've got, I run actually two different marketing agencies now and, and they, they focus on very specific sectors. And I, I, I believe that, and I would hope that the team I built has the same kind of perspective and views on who is a good fit for us. Um, but certainly, you know, there's some things that some categories we won't touch, you know, there's some types of people that, you know, no matter how much money they have to spend, we wouldn't do business with because they're not going to be, you, you don't want to put your team on the ground simply because of revenue, right? You've got to have right. people that you can work with. I've, I've noticed some agencies and large ones that said they wouldn't take on a particular product or service. And then when things mm -hmm. got tough, they changed their opinion, right? They We've changed their values. Yeah. We, I, I remember quitting a, a quick agency story for you. We had one of our biggest accounts was um, literally was probably about 35% of our revenue, which as you know, is not a good place to be oh. with any piece of business and, and had been a significant part of our business for many years. And um, they were just getting more, it was getting more and more toxic. The relationship was so difficult. My, my team was always like feeling belittled and never felt like it was good enough. And, you know, all those things and deadlines were so fast and, and it was just all of that stuff. And um, I resigned that piece of business because of, of what they were doing to my team and resigned it with it being 35% of our revenue, not knowing how we were going to replace it, not knowing what was going to happen. But the funny thing that happened as a result of me resigning it is when I came back and told my team I had, they applauded and, and they were so grateful. Like I, I knew it was bad. I didn't know how bad it was. And they, you know, and they all just said, we're going to find a way to replace the revenue. And within a year, we had more than doubled the revenue. So, wow. you know, you free people up by giving them opportunity to go and work with people that are going to be um, good clients as opposed to just revenue clients. Yeah, very good story. Um, what made you decide to start uh, District Ventures? So I started the, um, the fund and now Venture Park um, it, because I really believed that there was this um, huge hole in Canada in the food and health space. Um, and, and, I, and I believed that there was this need to support businesses that were trying to grow. Like as a altruistically and as a as a just a personal belief Canada is really good at shipping our natural resources and our commodities to other countries so we ship our grains and our water and our you know everything and I and then we the other countries turn them into products and we buy them back and I've just got this fundamental belief that no stick should leave our country without value being added to it and for that to happen in the agricultural and health space, you have to provide capital and marketing support and programming and, and you have to provide mentorship and you have to help these businesses scale. 
And the way to do that is by not just marketing or not just capital, but by putting them together. And so I've been focused in the last five years on building a very unique ecosystem. And this to me is the future of advertising. It's finding a way to partner, not just with by providing marketing expertise, but by providing capital and business expertise and um, sales and distribution expertise and retail expertise in a way that um, isn't available just through a marketing firm. And so that- um TELUS has uh, created a $100 million fund called the Pollinator Fund for Good. Yeah. And uh, they put me on their board of directors. I won't walk in there with those funny teeth in there, my mouth. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, uh, they, the first uh, product that they've launched is uh, a beer, believe it or not. And it's called Pollinator. You won't see TELUS on it, but uh, there's a small brewery uh, in British Columbia that Pollinator uh where this uh, beer is being, Pilsner beer is being brewed. And within the first month of it being launched, it's the biggest seller that this particular uh, brand of beer has. So there's obviously a lot of people out there that are thinking where your, your head is as far as doing good and, and putting your money where your mouth is actually. Yeah, I mean, I've raised a $100 million fund. We're, we're raising our second fund now. And um, you know, we, we have put through our accelerator 90 companies and, and those 90 companies last year did close to $200 million in revenue in the Canadian wow. economy, drove thousands of jobs. We have funded through the fund 30 some odd companies. Um, we, are, we are making a significant impact in Canada. And it's such a point of pride for me relative to leaving a legacy for our country, but also I believe creating something that is a new model. And, and so it's exciting and it's keeping me up at night. And, and I love that. You got lots of energy. I do have lots of energy. Yeah. And uh, you've got written three books now, or you got a fourth one in mind? Uh, not at this moment, but never say never. I've learned never to say never. I mean, the, the, I, the three I, I've written, they, they've turned, they're turning the first one into a television series, which is very cool. So I'm pretty excited about that. Are you going to get a royalty? Uh, well, I'll be an executive producer. I will. Uh, yeah, I, I won't be yeah. on the show. Uh, and yeah. and what was it with you and Jan Arden? What did you guys end up doing there? It seems. Uh, well, we had a podcast together for a year, which was a lot of fun, and yeah. we just talked about life. And uh, Jan, look at what she's done with her show. She's just been an amazing success. She's a wonderful human. I've got a couple more questions, and then we've got a, a few questions that are coming from the audience. And and one of the questions that I would. Uh, I had mentors. I had a couple of mentors. Uh, and uh, after this interview, you'll be one of mine for sure. It, it, who do you look for inspiration? And, 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 and why? Who do you look up to? Um, you know, I, I really... So many people. Like, I don't have a mentor. What I, what I really like is... I'm a very much an in-the-moment person. I've always said mentorship is comes from the person who's sitting right next to you that if you just ask anybody that you meet kind of what's the hardest thing you've ever done and they talk to you about what they've done and what they've overcome there's a learning moment in there and we tend to always think mentors have to be somebody who's lofty and big but they don't it's 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 in it's in that human exchange that we find learning and so i um, but, but having said that, I do want to say, Frank, you have been a mentor and I'm not just saying that because we're doing this, you have, I've watched you, I watched you put Palmer Jarvis together and watched you care about creativity and changing and taking such huge, huge risks at a time. Everybody thought you were like, what is he doing? You know, like it's such a big risk, 
but you were so prescient in terms of understanding what the market needed and, and putting together. And so in the industry, there's a few people that I really um, have a lot of uh, respect for. Um, so I'm, I'm mentored from afar by them. I don't know them all personally, but I watch them and observe them. And, and then in life, I think it's, it's, you know, I watch my daughter in the industry right now. She's, she's uh, working in the industry, which I love watching her, my family, my, my friends, um, nobody in particular. I, I get great pleasure of having, um, seriously, when people hear me say this, I've had great pleasure of watching a lot of people who have left the company, my company, mm -hmm. and gone on and created their own company yes. and how well they're doing. I mean, it's the rise of the independence would be the name of a book today yeah. because they are doing so well when you look at whether Rethink or yourself or Broken Hearts and... Uh, and, and, and Zach, and uh, I mean, when I was creating our company, there was not that many independents around. There might've been taxi and that, but uh, today I'd have a hell, hell of a time trying to choose one of those independents because they're so good. Yeah, and, and, and because of the accessibility that now we have to, um, and to partnerships that are forming, you know, it used to be that the multinationals controlled so much because they had access to resources and there was, they, they had, their networks were, you know, somehow mis mysterious and big and meaningful. But now I just think it's all getting, it, it's all leveling out and it really is truly about great thinking and, and big and, and great ideas, but, you know, being able to, being able to work differently with your clients. And, and so I don't think it's about size. It's about, intention and it's about building something meaningful and it's not just about the latest creative thing or the latest media idea or the latest strategic plan it's about figuring out how you can actually create meaningful difference to the people that you partner with and your clients that's what i think right, a good answer now here's one of the questions from the audience that i have but uh maybe the answer has already been answered it says if you weren't doing this as a career choice which is multiple choice now what else would you be doing if you weren't doing what you were doing? Maybe be an actress? Uh, I, you know, I've, all, I've actually have a chair in the background that says that I, I always wanted to be a famous actress. I, I, if I could have had an acting career, I would have loved to have had an acting career. I didn't, I, I never pursued it. I wish I had. Have. I always either wanted to be an actress or a social worker, which is kind of a odd, odd career things in terms of how different they are. But I wanted to do one of those two things. I, I, I really, Venture Park is something that I'm so passionate about right now and what we're building. I can't imagine doing anything different than this. I love what I'm doing. I'm building my next fund and building this is, let's keep Is there it. any kind of a tie-in between Venture Park and what you did on Dragon's Den that would be kind of matched up with your abilities? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think recognizing the opportunity in the food and health sector came from Dragon's Den. I mean, I was watching all these food companies and health companies and seeing them be told over and over again that they'd never be successful. And why couldn't they be successful? Of course they can be. They just need the right combination of support. And so that one led to the other. Yeah. Well, actually, we're looking at somewhat, I would say, following your footsteps, but we're kind of looking in a, an area of creating some products and, and of our own that... Uh, yeah. won't have Frank's name on it, but we'll, we'll have some fun with it if, if hopefully make a buck or two. But uh, so one of the questions here is what advice would you give to your younger self? All right. So I do, I, I have a, the answer I used to give to this question was to dream bigger. 
I would say to my younger self, dream bigger. Um, but there's two different answers I'm going to give. Now I say, I think about that and I think, no, you know, I actually did dream really big when I was younger. I, I, I always had big dreams, but I really allowed other people to tell me that those big dreams were too big for me. And I let other people temper me down and marginalize my dreams. As a result, I, I believed their narrative about what I was capable of versus just trusting in myself and not just dreaming big, but living bigger. And so I've learned, I would say what I would tell my younger self is to not listen to what other people are telling you you're capable of. But also I would say to my younger self, everything's going to be okay. What as bad as your, it's as bad as it gets, everything's going to be okay. What, what would you say to your older self? Same answer. What do I say now? Everything's going to be okay that you have to, have be to okay. yourself and you have to, and you have to please, you have to, when I say, please, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror every day and be comfortable with who you are. And, and I think that self-awareness and being comfortable with who I am is the greatest gift that age has given me. It is, I am less perturbed by what other people think of me now. I'm less concerned about what other people's views of me are. I am much more concerned about who I am and whether I like myself and whether I believe I'm doing what's worthwhile. And that's come with age because man, when I was younger, I was obsessed with what the world thought of me. Yeah, good point. I, I wouldn't have thought that, but it makes really good sense. I mean, you either like me or you don't. Here's, this is me. Yeah. Take it or leave it. You know, yeah, female male thing, Frank, you know? Yeah. Well, I was out with a client or friends yesterday uh, for lunch that uh, was one of those extended lunches. I had no intention of going back to the office because uh, I decided that I have to live a little bit more than just work all the time because I, I still feel the conceivable. Well, Frank, are you ever going to quit? Why? Why? You know, George Burns said he wanted to live to 100 and he lived to 100. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to live to 110 and hope I ain't make it. But the point is, is that... Uh, I think that I'll continue to do whatever I'm doing like this for the rest of my life, if, as long as I can continue to enjoy it. And as long as I feel that I can make a contribution, and I think you're that same lady. Yeah, I, I, I love what I, I, I feel very fortunate to get up every day and, and, you know, want to do what I do. Um, but that's not to say that I haven't experienced depression and I haven't had a lot of anxiety in my life. And I think it's really important for people in this industry and particularly because this is a NABS event for us to recognize how difficult it can be. Um, this is, this is an industry that can be very hard on you um, emotionally um, and mentally. And I, I, I just want everybody to know I've, I've been depressed. I've, I suffer from anxiety. I, I get it. And um, taking care of yourself is the number one thing we all have to do. And the first thing we have to do to take care of ourselves is recognize when we are feeling those struggles and, and seek, um, seek, seek help or, or not be afraid to admit that you're, you're going through some challenges. Um, it's, it's not easy. No. Well, having said that and having spent 45 enjoying minutes with you very joyful i want to thank you kindly from myself and from navs for being part of this uh, very important interview produced by nabs